All right, welcome to episode number 65 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording April 26, 2020. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show based in Southern Ontario, a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. As a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to help people be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sports shooter, and my farm's designated handyman. Judging by my haircut for the listeners, which is a buzz cut, if there's uh, one rule about Project Mayhem is we don't talk about Project Mayhem. <laughs> one of us. One of us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. My name is Tyler. I live in Northwest Wisconsin. Uh, besides prepping, I'm also into homesteading, metalworking, engines, guns, and the great outdoors. Uh, if you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, uh, head on over to Rapid Survival and you can pick up a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt. All the proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. Well, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we've got a, a rasher of content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some preparedness-related news articles. Uh, next, we'll let us let you know how we've uh, done for our, or what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode. I'm going to practice talking because apparently I can't do that this evening. And then we'll get into the main topic of the show, uh, raising pigs at home. I don't think uh, any intro ever goes 100% on any podcast. So. <laughs> I don't think so, especially when it's live. Yeah. No. But that's okay. All right, so out of the news, I've got uh, a few articles. Uh, one. Uh, first time in history, oil price went below zero. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that was that was pretty fun to watch. Like, I mean, considering what you know, what's the didn't wasn't five years ago or something like that. It was like you know, one hundred and sixty barrel dollars a barrel and stuff. And Alberta was going gangbusters, and and now the oil producers are actually willing to pay people to take their oil just to hang on to it for them. Yeah, I know. I was seeing reports of ships. I think it was off the coast of California, uh, oil tankers that were just basically parked out in the ocean because the the ports didn't want them to come in. They had nowhere to yep. store the stuff. So. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so the strategic petroleum reserve in the states, uh, every stu- fuel storage tank, every gas station, they're all full, and yeah, uh, yeah it's it's, it's kind of hit that. I guess you know, it's finally one of those unintended consequences of the the shutdown is like nobody's driving, nobody's doing anything except for food deliveries, and that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get paid when I go to the gas station now to fill up my truck. <laughs> you know, it's funny how the gas price has not really reflected that, and it's still, uh, yeah. still, yeah, it's full of taxes, of course. So, mm-hmm. it doesn't help. interesting. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. we're still at like eighty-six cents a liter, which is, I guess, uh, let's see, that to be about two fifty a gallon here. But okay. uh, yeah, around yeah. me, we're down almost a dollar a gallon. Uh, yeah, we were about two fifty a gallon. We're down to like a, a buck fifty-nine, I think, is what I filled up at yesterday. So wow. Prices here seem to be at least coming down a little bit, which is certainly nice. Crazy. Um, yeah, so I got a, another news article on pork plants. So uh, we started talking about uh, pork production in China being down 25%, uh, sorry, down a bunch, and there's 25% of the world's supply. And uh, now we've got a couple shutdowns here in the States. They're like mm-hmm. the, the large, some of the largest pork processing plants are shut down, which is going to lead to a guaranteed pork shortage in about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a little more digging then closer to home here in Quebec and Alberta. Both of them, due to COVID-19 infections and lack of demand and everything else, they're shutting down a bunch of plants, uh, mostly because the workers got sick, but it also ties in nicely with the uh, the restaurant demand dropping. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're having this this huge shutdown to the point where like the, they actually might be a, a supply crunch with pork and meat products. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's becoming more apparent that I think there certainly will be, especially as these plants shut down and, and these pork producers, they have tens of thousands of hogs that they're typically shipping off to the plants and, and they now have a finished hog uh, ready for market. And every day that they, they basically don't process that pig, they're throwing money down the drain because, uh, you know, they're beyond that point of profitability. So, well, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think there's always tight margins because they, uh, they use every part of the pig, like literally. Right. And so if they they can't afford to have like a bunch of pigs sitting around not getting pro, or not getting turned into something. So, yeah, it's going to be mm-hmm. some big losses down the road. So, yeah. Absolutely. Good time to be raising pigs. Yep. Yeah. You guys got anything? Yeah. So I've got uh, one news article here in regards to the fitness do's and don'ts for your home workout. Since we're all stuck at home, some are throwing weights around in the basement. So it's a good reminder of some basic workout uh, movements that you can do and uh, how not to hurt yourself in the process because you don't want to end up in the hospital right now. Mm-hmm. Usually not ever, but especially right now. So it's a, a good one to check out if you're going through the show notes. The link is there. Uh, and had another one here in regards to uh, what happens when a natural disaster strikes during a pandemic. So it brings up some good points that um, starting to get into wildfire season, uh, flooding season. And right now, all the main focus is on obviously COVID. So it's uh, it's not a bad idea to start thinking about that. Um, if you're in a, uh, a wildfire zone or, or a flooding zone or something, uh, take a take a day or two and, and start planning for that uh, because you know COVID is well underway and hopefully you've got some stuff already prepared for that and maybe it'll even double up. But um, don't forget that those things can still happen. So yeah, be ready for, for that in, as well. For those in the States, uh, kind of in the Midwest, the Corn Belt, down Southern States, uh, tornado season is fastly approaching as well. So um, if you don't have a good tornado shelter, maybe you got some free time now. You can figure something out or at least get a plan together with family. So oh, yeah, don't forget about all the other things that can happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, natural stuff or stuff that would normally happen, car accidents and stuff didn't stop just because, you know, nope. pandemic, right? So, I mean, nope. there might be a little less traffic, but there's still people having accidents and heart attacks and everything else. So, yep. Yep. so just be ready for it. Yep. All right, let's move into what we've done lately for preps. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, brought to you this time by the CCFR. Uh, awesome. I think we have some news on that and you can reach them at uh, www.firearmrights.ca. There's um, some free TV shows, site be purchased memberships. And as one of the, the few effective uh, organizations we have in Canada to uh, help maintain our firearms freedoms. Yeah. So head on over and check them out. Yeah. So for myself, shocking more yard work. I don't think the property has ever been this tidy, like ever. Uh, yeah. Leaves are all picked up. Everywhere is all raked. Everything's cleaned up. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's looking pretty good. We uh, we still got the pond in the back to tackle and, and pretty up a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's looking good. Uh, and the dog has been running all over the place too, so he's sleeping. It's great. Uh, and while I was out there raking and uh, and cleaning up the yard, I started to kind of plan out where I want to hang my HF antenna. So I've got uh, I've got my radio here. Uh, I had my temporary antenna up uh, before the winter, and I took it down. Um, so now I want to actually string something up that's a little bit more permanent. Uh, it's going to take up about 100 feet of space, so uh, I need uh, I need some open areas, and it's got to be at least 30 feet up. So I need a couple of trees and uh, some coax cable and some wire. So I started kind of planning out where I want to put it, and uh, I think I've got somewhere picked out. So once I, uh, once I get it all planned out and such, I'll uh, throw some pictures up on the Facebook page and maybe do a quick little blog article about how I did it. 
Nice. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how you can change the antenna length and everything else based on the frequency. And yep. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. So, and hopefully, I don't fall out of a tree while I'm putting it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you know, maybe the hospital emergency room would be empty. Maybe it won't be. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for myself, I reorganized the podcast studio, also known as the work shed. Um, so yeah, I can't tell behind the green screen, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot neater and there's a lot more stuff I can actually find where it actually is supposed to be. Uh, let's see here. I did a bunch of dump runs just to complement that coop destruction, which I finally finished off now. So the chicken coop is now completely gone that I want to get rid of. Nice. Uh, just had some leftover two by fours, which I'm going to try and recycle, reuse. Uh, let's see here. And Chewbacca is bugging me again. Uh, see here. So I did some uh, CGN deals. I uh, got a couple of parts, uh, a couple of toys coming from CGN. Actually, uh, Adriel, the hunting gear guy, did a review on a Norinco Semi Auto 22, and uh, I bought it off of him. So, nice. yeah, so there's actually a video on the, the gun and it got reviewed, and then he promptly got rid of it. So it's on the way. Uh, nice. Let's see here. Fixed some defective ammo that I had that I tried reloading, and I didn't have a chamber gauge for it, and it turned out it wasn't going to fit. So I actually had to fix a bit of that. See here. Also, I had some ones that, that for some reason the primers went in backwards, so I had to kind of take mm. them apart and redo them. Uh, into stuff with the show topic, actually, I sourced a local hog and a lamb for the fall. Nice. So nice. come November, I will have a fully grown hog uh, complete for the family. We'll have to actually we're gonna basically process it under the tutelage of the guy that's raising the hog. And then uh, whether we commercially process the meat or do it ourselves with a, a big grinder that we might get, we're kind of waiting to see. Uh, reloaded. So I did a bunch more reloading, just finished off uh, some of the components I had for some pistol ammo. Because um, it turns out my, my ranges are reopening in a couple days, which is nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that'd be nice. You have to, it's by appointment only. You have to actually book your slot in ahead of time and then kind of show oh. up and you get 90 minutes to play and then you have to leave. And they're trying to like do social distancing at the range, which, which, okay, fine. Right. Um, yeah. So first Corona apocalypse hairdo. <laughs> I, I know. You, I know you couldn't tell, right? Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I had my daughter, I made a deal with it. I was like, uh, would you mind, uh, taking care of the back that I can't see? And she's like, Oh, I'll just do the whole thing. So she was having a grand old time and, um, <laughs> I didn't have any uh, oil to, to for the clippers to actually make the blades uh, not bind up. So I actually ended up using some Hornady one-shot reloading lube and then some uh, <laughs> Dillon case lube, which is like lanolin and, and rubbing alcohol. So it's not exactly horrible stuff. But anyway, uh, to make the blades work. And so, yeah, finally paid off. I had those barber clippers sit in the closet for like, I don't know, 10 years almost. And I don't think I really ever used them that much. And then, uh, yeah, finally starting to pay off. I'll at least get a couple uses out of it before the, uh, the pandemic's over. And let's see here, went down to the temporary bug out location of the traveling prepper. So he's on the island right now and I uh, went down unintentionally happened, but we ended up, ended up happening today. I ended up trading him some eggs for some halibut. So uh, that was pretty good. It's a fair uh, trade. Yeah. And let's see here. I think that's about it. Only nice. a page and a half this evening. No, I, it was nothing compared to Tyler. I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been off for a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, for myself, uh, just like everybody else, tons of yard work, uh, spring cleanup, tree trimming, picking up leaves, all that. Uh, during my yard work, I hit a bit of a bad spell, or a spell of bad luck. I ended up actually bending the main hydraulic cylinder on my skid loader. Um, the next day, I was out uh, tilling the garden, and I broke the pulley and belt that drives the tiller on my tiller tractor. Uh, that same day, I went to finally rebuild the clutch on my side-by-side. -side. I had built the primary clutch or rebuilt the primary clutch a few days before. Finally went to rebuild the secondary clutch and found that it was totally wore out, like, into the housing from the previous owner. So, 
$80 rebuild kit turned into like a $500 clutch. So that was a bummer. Ooh. And Ouch. then I uh, also broke the deck drive belt on my zero turn all within two days. So I spent the better part of a week basically in the shop uh, fixing all my mistakes or breakdowns. Uh, went through all the equipment, got everything ready to go for spring. Uh, did the same thing on the vehicles, got everything uh, up and tip top running shape now. So happy to have all that done. Uh, went through the shop and installed some outlets in the ceiling and added some new LED lights. Uh, also added some water storage to the property with some 55-gallon drums. Um, I tilled and fenced uh, another garden, so we've got a, a pretty good-sized vegetable garden, but I added another fenced-in area and tilled that to plant some fruit berries. And just today finished transplanting uh, two types of raspberries, some blueberries and some blackberries from uh, my parents' property and my, my in-laws' property. Uh, so we are able to transplant all those berries for, for nothing, just the, the cost of our time. And uh, tilled the existing vegetable garden, added some climbing structures, uh, started a whole bunch of seeds inside, um, added a couple uh, ham radios to the communications department. So hoping to get some free time here and learn how, <clears throat> learn how to play with those and uh, start getting my information together for getting my license and so on. I might know a guy. Yeah, I know you guys are <laughs> my main contact on that stuff. Uh, and then I also removed a whole bunch of old barbed wire fencing on the property. Um, finally getting towards the end of that. But uh, out of the whole deal, I've been able to recycle. I've probably about 60 T-posts now. And uh, if you go buy those T-posts new, they're about five bucks a piece. So recycling 60 of them, I've saved myself quite a few hundred dollars. In addition to cleaning up the property and making it safer for the dogs to run around and whatnot. So um besides that that's uh that's been the last couple of weeks for me or at least the gist of it so oh, very nice yeah <clears throat> are you guys uh planning on having more time off before this is all done or, like they gonna have reduced hours for you still um yeah so this was this is my fifth week on quarantine so i've got pre-existing condition that puts me a little more vulnerable in the vulnerable category for covid so i basically pulled myself out of work and uh luckily we were slow at the time work was okay with it and um, so I've been off work now for five weeks and just, just got the talks going with work uh, the last couple of days. And I'm thinking about going back early June, uh, assuming things kind of stay on their current trajectory. So I'm looking at probably another four or five weeks of uh, time around the house yet. So, Hey, better safe mm -hmm. than sorry, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, trying to find that balance of, you know, being realistic and safe and still making sure I got a job to go back to when this is all over. So yeah, that's a fine <laughs> balance. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that's my plan, anyways. So, what about you guys? What about you guys? Are you all still working? Or? Uh, reduced schedule, um, okay. all lower than normal. Like, there's a lot of less demand for for my work right now. So I'm just yeah. uh, I'm on a reduced schedule. It's a reduced base wage as well. So it's just like it'll all work out in the end. For I'm actually just happy to trade money for time right now. Just yeah, to exactly. projects run off here because like there's so many projects I've actually finished in the last couple weeks that I've, I've put off for years that I'm just I'm thrilled. So yeah. It's uh, worked out really well, and you know another month won't kill me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and mm -hmm. it's all good. I'm business as usual. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Away. Everybody's uh, making the best of the situation, at least everybody. Yep. So that's good. Yeah. So you're uh, you've uh, raised some hogs. Were you uh, you were in 4-H or something, weren't you? Yeah. Yep. I was in 4-H all growing up. So uh, I guess my experience with hogs. Uh, so growing up on our family's hobby farm, I would I would typically raise between four and twelve hogs over the summer months. Um, I'd usually purchase two or three show pigs. Uh, pretty much this time of year, like middle of April, uh, I usually go to the University of Minnesota. They have a big livestock auction, 
and I'd get a couple of show pigs there. So you'd pay a little more per pig, but they're a little better quality, better genetics, that sort of stuff. Um, and then I would raise those in with uh, a group of feeder pigs, you know, so I'd have my two or three show pigs and then a few more feeder pigs to kind of fill in the space. And then I would usually sell the pork from that those feeder pigs to kind of offset the cost of my 4-H project and then basically fill our families freer for free. Um, so that's basically my uh, history with hogs. I guess growing up, I raised them. It's been a few years now that I've been out of them since I went off to college. So uh, six years now, seven years. Um, but I have gone through now. I've got all the fencing. I just picked all that up last week. Uh, I've got all the shelter and the feeders and waters and, and everything from before. So I'm going to be setting my pen up uh, this upcoming week and hoping to bring some feeder pigs onto the property uh, hopefully next weekend if I'm able to source some. That's kind of the biggest problem I'm having right now. I have found a few sources of feeder pigs, but they're quite a bit farther than I really want to drive. Um, it's kind of slim pickings out there, of course, because everybody's starting to see the pork shortages and, and everything because of the pandemic. So uh, so feeder pigs are a, a little bit uh, in shortage, at least from what I've seen in my research over the last few days. But uh, how old are they when you uh, when you buy them as feeder pigs? Like how old are they? Like they they have they been weaned off their mom and all that stuff? And yep. So so I guess just to start, I'll when we're talking pigs here, I'm going to be strictly just talking raising feeder pigs. Um, so in terms of pigs, you've got your sow and your boar, which are going to be your adult uh, breeding stock. Um, the sow is going to be your adult breeding female. The boar is going to be your adult male. Um, so in order to raise pigs and breed them, you need kind of a lot of infrastructure. Pigs are, uh, well, I guess they root in nature, so they're somewhat destructive. They need basically concrete if you want to keep them inside. And they're also, um, they're not very hardy in terms of uh, climate and everything else. They don't, they're, they're very stress induced or very prone to stress. Um, uh, hold on, sorry, lost my spot here. <clears throat> okay, anyway, so just talking raising feeder pigs. Um, for somebody who's raising pigs on like a hobby farm or homestead scale, you're not gonna you're not gonna keep the barrels and gilts. So the feeder pigs you purchase are typically gonna range from eight to sixteen weeks in age, uh, and that's gonna be just like you said, right after their or not right after, but shortly after they're weaned from the mothers. They usually have their basic shots, things like that, um, and they're gonna be like I said, about forty to hundred pounds in weight. Uh, the price per pig is gonna depend largely on the breed as well as their age and size. Um, so these younger younger pigs, you've got your gilts and barrels. The gilts are your females, and the barrels are your castrated males. So those are going to be the pigs that you're looking for when you're purchasing feeder pigs. Um, and, and they've got oh, so the castrated is because they don't want that boar taint, right? Like the uh, exactly. Yep. So if you were to actually process and butcher like an intact male that is used for breeding, the meat would taste terrible because uh, just what Ian has said that they get kind of a boar taint. Um, so yeah. So any any pigs you raise are going to be or at least for meat, are going to be castrated. Um, so depending on the breed you get, uh, the feeder pigs themselves are going to typically range between $50 and $150 per pig. Um, all these prices I'm going to throw out during the podcast are relative to my area, so keep that in mind. I'm in northwest Wisconsin, so... Um, They're they also might, American, so times them by yeah. like 1000 for Canadian. <laughs> also talking American dollars. Um, so yeah, you're going to look... You're going to... Uh, Figure to probably throw down fifty to one hundred and fifty dollars per pig. That's going to depend largely on the breed as well as the size that you get them at. If you get them at forty pounds, they're going to be cheaper as if you get them at one hundred pounds. Um, your common breeds, at least in the United States, your most common is going to be your Yorkshire. And when you think of a pig, you think of the white pig, the pink pig. That's that's your Yorkshire. Um, second most common is Duroc. They're kind of red. 
Third is Berkshire, which is all black. And then you've got Hampshire, which is actually a cross between a Yorkshire and a Berkshire. And then uh, also your land race is another white pig that's pretty common. So if you're looking at one of those five breeds, those are probably going to give you your best rate of gain. Um, and they're going to be affordable. They're going to grow well. They're going to they're going to do well being raised under, you know, kind of the conditions that you'd normally raise pigs. Um it's going to take approximately five months to transform that 40 to 80 pound feeder pig into a 250 to 280 pound market hog. Um, so for my area, the best time to do this is, like I said, usually April, um, you'd be getting your pigs. It's, it's just warm enough to where you don't need to keep them on a heat lamp, that sort of thing. Um, and then you would raise them through till about uh, you know, September, October, depending on how quick they put on weight. Uh, like I said, pigs are sensitive animals, and they cannot regulate their t- body temperatures well. They actually don't have sweat glands, so that's why they cover themselves in dirt and mud and roll around is to stay cool during the summer. And then on the contrary, they, they also have a difficult time keeping weight and gaining weight during the winter. So that's kind of why that April to October window is the best time to raise them, at least, uh, you know, kind of in our climate. Um, well, yeah, they don't have any hair for the, the first, well, six, eight months, right? <clears throat> right. And uh, I know at least around me, there is a breed. They're called Mangalistas. They are like a, they have fairly long hair for a pig. And those are becoming more popular. They're supposed to have really delicious, tasty meat. I've never tried them personally, but um, those are starting to become popular, especially for feeder pigs. They're kind of like a niche market. But uh, if you were going to raise one of those pigs, you'd be looking at like three to $400 for a feeder pig instead of $100. So. Uh, something to keep in mind. At the so, local auction, actually, at the local auction, we saw our first feral hog they were trying to sell, but he was intact. Really? So they tamed really? it. Horrible. Okay. Wow, I'm surprised they were even able to sell that at auction. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was surprised too, but I was like, all right, sure, but I didn't buy it, obviously. But Yeah. So if you're thinking you might be interested in pigs, uh, I guess the first thing we probably need to talk about is how much space you're going to need. Um, fortunately for pigs, you don't really need a ton of space. They're not terribly active. Um, too large of a pen and it's going to decrease your rate of gain and you're going to be spending a bunch of money on fencing that you don't need to. Uh, well, too small of a pen is obviously going to lead to some animal welfare issues. They're going to be uh, not clean and crabby and everything else. Um, I kind of mentioned it earlier that uh, pigs are, they like to root. Um, so they have, they usually root and forage for food in, in the wild at least. And that's kind of why feral hogs are such a problem. They, they'll come into people's cropland and just destroy the ground. Um, so raising your feeder pigs is really no different. So just know that whatever chunk of land you fence off and raise your pigs on is going to be completely tilled under. Uh, it's going to look like the surface of Mars. It's going to be cratered. They're going to dig huge holes. They're going to tear stumps and trees out and, and that sort of thing. And uh, But anyways, as far as space goes, um, I found that a 32 by 32 pen works well for four to six pigs and a 48 by 48 pen uh, works good for like 10 or 12 pigs. Um, I, I use those dimensions because I, in terms of fencing, I prefer to use the 16-foot welded wire hog panels. Um, so you need a really strong fence to keep them in. I can promise you that if you raise pigs, you do not want them to get out because they are not easy to catch. Um, and I do have a quick pro tip. If you do, if your pigs do get out, uh, best way to control them is a five-gallon bucket. Tip it up and put it over their head so they can't see. And then uh, they'll try to back out of it, and you can just kind of wiggle them where you want to go. That's really the only way that I've found to be successful in controlling a pig. Um, Doesn't we have to, every movie have a funny chase scene where somebody's trying to catch the hogs and they end up in the mud? And, <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't look any different in real life. I can promise you that. Uh, that was always, you know, showing them in 4-H, you've got the problem of trying to transport them to the county fair to show them and same with the state fair. Um, so that's always a lot of fun trying to get pigs into the horse trailer and everything else. Uh, so that's kind of where I figured out that five-gallon bucket trick. That works pretty good. 
Um, but anyway, so with pig fencing, you've got kind of two options, electric fencing or uh, the welded wire hog panels. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that the electric fencing works great. It's something that I've never really dealt with. Um, I don't know why. It, it's supposedly supposed to be cheaper. I haven't looked into it too much. Um, in terms of the welded wire hog panels, I just bought the materials at Fleet Farm this past week. So to set up a 32 by 32 hog panel pen, you're going to need eight hog panels at $23 a piece. So it's going to cost you about 200 bucks. And you need uh, about 30 T-posts at five bucks a piece. So you're looking at about 150 for posts. So for pig fencing, about 350 bucks. And you could uh, pretty comfortably fence, you know, six pigs, maybe eight. Um, so that's what you're looking at for fencing costs. And did you say anything about electrifying it at all? I have not needed to electrify my uh, my hog panels. The, the hog panels are strong enough. And as long as you put T-posts close enough together where the, it's going to keep the panel held upright, um, I, I haven't had any problems with the pigs getting out of that, that fencing setup and it's lasted decades. We raised pigs for eight or 10 years at my folks place with that same fencing and it looked just as good 10 years later as it did the day you put it in. That's kind of the nice part with that, uh, the welded wire, you, you know, you kind of buy once, cry once you pay for it up front, but it's all galvanized. It's really heavy duty, heavy gauge. You can tear it down and reuse it for other projects. So that's kind of why I've always gone that route. And they, um, no, that you said they root around quite a bit. Are they able to dig it all down? Yep. And so that is the only problem that I've had with them getting out is they'll actually root along the fence so deep that they can get under it. And uh, the only way that I've really found to, to solve that problem is just to simply fill the hole back in. Or uh, what I've done in the past too is go around the outside edge with uh, cinder blocks or concrete blocks. Um, and that's obviously where the, the electric fence would come in, in handy for sure. And uh, one of the nice things with pigs and kind of what I'm going to be doing with mine is, is like I said, they root up an area and they'll, they'll basically level it all out, clear all the trees, clear all the brush. So for me, I've got like a narrow trail going through some dense woods on my property. Um, so what I'm going to do is along, along the one side of the, the trail, I'm going to fence my pigs. And then over the years, I'll just slowly move that pen down and down the trail and basically let the pigs widen out the woods for me, clear all the brush out, clear all the trees, everything like that. So a lot of people um, kind of implement that with electric fencing because you can do that throughout the year. You know, it's a little more work to tear down a bunch of T-posts and panels and move those down during, you know, on a weekly basis or whatever it might be. Whereas electric fence, if you're able to train those pigs to respect that electric fence, you can quickly, you know, rotate that down and, and you could really clear some property if you wanted to with your pigs. Well, I was blown away because last year we actually got a whole hog off somebody, like a different supplier and uh, she had, must have been like a, 20 by 60 foot lot for just a few pigs. And yeah, like you said, like just the surface of Mars, it just looked like yeah. artillery fire range or something. Just the way they tore it up. I was, I was That's exactly away. what it looks like. It looks like somebody dumped a box of grenades in there and they just went off. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, they really tear it up, but they are, they are really a lot of fun to raise. Um, if you've got good fencing, good shelter set up, you, you'll have, you'll be successful with your pigs and you'll really enjoy raising them. They've got great personalities and they, they are a lot of fun to raise. Um, so I guess the next thing to talk about is shelter. Uh, we kind of covered fencing. They don't need a very fancy shelter. That's a nice thing, especially if you're raising them at that kind of optimum time of the year. If you're going to be raising them earlier or later in the year where the temperatures are colder, then yeah, you would maybe need to have a fully enclosed insulated shelter where you can provide some supplemental heat. But within that like April to October window, you know, nighttime temperatures are warm enough where they don't need a, a very fancy shelter. So really any sort of three-sided lean-to. I know a lot of people that don't even have uh, they'll have just a lean-to, just a roof to get them out of the rain. Um, I've got a metal porta hut That works great. They're a little bit expensive, but they do really work good. Um, otherwise, pallets work very well. You can just pound T-posts in the ground, and you can actually slip the pallet up over the T-posts. 
Um, just do that three sides, pallet over the top, and, and you've got basically, you know, for the cost of a few dollars, maybe for the posts and pallets, you've got a, a pretty decent shelter. You could add um, maybe some shingles to that or, or some tarps if you needed to. But uh, that, that'll get you by for a shelter. Um, once you've got the fencing and shelter covered, uh, the next thing would be kind of your feeders and waters. Um, gravity style feeders and waters work excellent and are going to be the most common that you're going to see when raising swine pails and buckets they, they just don't work the pigs are going to knock them right over if you put water in a bucket in there it's going to be knocked over in five seconds save the food so so you really and especially with a feeder it probably pays most to invest in a good feeder because that's going to be one of your largest costs is just feeding that hog so if you're not wasting it's not getting rained on it's not getting moldy and ruined um, if you've got a good feeder it's going to it's going to prevent all that from happening so there's, there's quite a few options you can choose from out there. Um, you can find them used on Craigslist and everything else too. Um, I actually went ahead and built my own. Uh, I got a, a whole bunch of like plate steel, 316s plate steel um, that somebody was just going to scrap. So I went through cut it all up and welded my own uh, gravity style feeder. And it's got, uh, I can hold about 600 pounds of feet in there. So I can, you know, fill that once a week and, and that would keep the pigs for at least a few days, if not a week or more, you know, depending on how old they are and how many I've got. Say six hundred um, pounds of food for a week. Oh, depending on how many pigs you have, and, and uh, yeah, what at what age they are. But uh, yeah, they'll especially towards the end of their life, they they eat quite a bit of food, and uh, we'll get into that next. Oh yeah, that's like me well, in lockdown. <laughs> I know, right? That's how we. <laughs> COVID we yep. just in snacks. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, but but the the little gravity feeders, uh, you can get them for about eighty bucks at Fleet Farm, and and they work pretty well. Uh, they'll hold up for about two years. They're a little thin walled. And uh, they've only hold about 50 to 100 pounds of feed. So you're going to be filling them every day, especially especially towards the end of uh, that pig's life. You're going to be filling that thing every day. But they do work good. Um, for waters, the stainless steel pig nipples are, are really your only solution. Uh, they're about five, six bucks each. And uh, they work really well um, for, for my own watering setup. So what I did was I took a six or I built a six foot tall stand. And then I placed basically just a large stock tank on the top of that. I placed that stand in the tank outside the pen, and then I just plumb a garden hose from the tank down to the fence. And then on that fence, they sell like a dual nipple attachment that you can just fastens right to the T-post with a couple U-bolts. And then right there, you've got gravity-fed water for the pigs, you know, depending on your tank size, 100 gallons or more. Um, So same thing. You could potentially feed these pigs, you know, fill their water, fill their feeder. And you could potentially walk away from them for a week. You know, I'm down there every day feeding them supplemental food scraps and so on and making sure they're doing good. But um, you could get by for, you know, on, on relatively low input in terms of chores and so on. So how much do you think, uh, like, as they get older, how much water do they go through every day? Water really is going to depend, uh, especially on the heat. Um like I said, I would usually raise in four to 12 pigs, a hundred gallon tank would last me a week pretty easy. I'd fill it every week. Um, just drag the garden hose out there, fill it up and then roll the hose back up. But yeah, you know, if you're raising 10 pigs, like I said, about a hundred gallons probably last you a week. If it's hot, obviously, it, you know, it might go faster, but they do go through quite a bit of water. And then uh, just touching back on that, you know, they, they don't have sweat glands, so they roll in the mud. And if it is hot, that is something that's worthwhile doing, going down there, soaking, you know, spraying the pigs down, giving them some mud to roll around in. Um, any amount of stress you put on the pigs, if they're stressed and they're hot and sweating all the time, they're not going to have great rate of gain. So so anything you can do to improve that animal's comfort is going to improve your, your rate of gain. It's going to improve your meat quality greatly. And it's going to ultimately increase the success you have raising feeder pigs. So... 
<clears throat> what about uh, waste removal? Do you actually, like uh, constantly remove the uh, the poop and, and stuff from the pen, or is it just kind of get it ground in? Or yeah, so contrary to what a lot of people believe, so pigs, I'll admit, they do have a, a very unique smell. It doesn't particularly bother me much, but they do they do definitely have a a, a stronger odor compared to most livestock animals or farm animals. Um, but pigs will actually are, I think they're one of the few, if not the only animal that will, they'll choose a corner of the pen or a spot in the pen and they'll always go in that spot. Um, and, and in terms of, like I said, they, they always root. So they're really kind of digging and tilling all this stuff in. Um, for me, I just fence it off, put the pigs in there. Um, I'll bed down their pen or their shelter. I'll use some loose leaf hay so they have something comfy and dry to lay on. Um, I'll bed that down weekly, but in terms of cleaning, I just go in there at the end of the year, tear the fence down, level it all out with the bobcat, and move on to the next spot. Um, if there is a buildup of manure, I'll, I'll scoop that out the best I can, and mostly just to use on the compost. But, but I've never, I've never really needed to go in and clean just manure or compost out of there during, you know, as I'm raising the pigs. So, got a good point in the live chat from Dan. It says uh, if you run out of water, it's uh, time for some bacon. Yeah, exactly it. <laughs> I like it. So uh, next thing to talk about, I guess, is feed um, and feed costs and everything else. Uh, so as a rule of thumb, pigs are going to need about three pounds of feed to gain one pound of body weight. So breaking it down kind of on an easy level, if we're going to transform, let's say we get a 60-pound feeder pig, um, we go and buy that from the farmer. We want to take that 60 pounds and we're going to raise it to about a 260-pound finished hog. That's going to be pretty common, like 250 to 280 is kind of the sweet spot. Uh, again, it depends on the breed, if they're more muscular or more, you know, if they're more lean breed or whatever else they might be, um, higher or lower at that weight, but, um, usually 260 is a good number. So, so we're going to need basically 600 pounds of feed to increase that pig's body weight by 200 pounds, um, using that three to one rule of thumb. Um, I called around to, let's see, one, two, three, four, five of my local feed mills, uh, to get prices this week. And everybody was like, right in the ballpark of $10 for a 50 pound bag. Uh, they did not fluctuate more than a dollar 50 a bag from that price. So I think that's a pretty good number to work with is just $10 for a 50 pound bag of feed. So kind of a rough estimate um, to feed that, that pig out from 60 pounds to 260 pounds is going to cost you about $120 at those feed prices. Um, and, uh, you know, the nice thing with pigs is that these feed prices can be reduced greatly. Um, if you, you know, collect your kitchen scraps, collect your garden scraps, um, you can even get, uh, growing up, we also were milking, you know, 30 or 40 dairy goats um, while we were raising these pigs. And so we would take any leftover milk or any milk that wasn't being used to feed back to the babies. We would feed that to the pigs and that was awesome. So any leftover unused dairy, that sort of stuff, um, corn, you know, pigs will eat really, I mean, they'll eat anything. They will, they will eat anything, but just like every other thing on the homestead, you know, crap in, crap out. So make sure you're feeding them only, you know, kind of quality stuff. So you get quality meat. Um, they, they don't recommend you feed the meat scraps. Uh, I know some people do, but uh, that's just kind of what I read up on. Otherwise, everything else is pretty much fair game from, from what I've seen. And, and from what I remember in the past, at least growing up, we would always feed them all of our food scraps. We had a neighbor that worked at a like a senior retirement home, he would bring us five gallon buckets home every single day uh, for, of food scraps. We had a, another neighbor that did sweet corn and, and shucked corn and everything. So he would bring us like the corn hulls and all the corn husks and everything else. And um, so you can really offset your food costs by doing those sorts of things. 
But we were spoiled rotten last year because the uh, the lady that did our hog last year, she for the last two weeks, she had a steady supply of apples from her next door neighbor that were on the like grossy ground apples, right? They could they yep. couldn't pick and they couldn't use. She was throwing the apples into the the hog pen, and they were like basically apple finished. Oh yeah, nice, <laughs> it was, like, yep. fantastic. So yeah, yeah, we even even uh, feeding them the goat milk, we noticed that in the meat, it was like much more white and like way it was way more tender after feeding them all that goat milk. I don't know if it's just because it was high in fat or what, but uh, yeah, right. that was some of the best pork we had growing up was feeding them a lot of that goat milk. So, well, so anything, anything you can think right. of like that, be creative, talk to your local farmers, talk to your local restaurants, any sorts of inns like that. If you've got, you know, maybe a sister or brother, whoever that's a waitress, maybe they can take food scraps for you. Um, unfortunately there it's becoming increasingly difficult, especially in the States as they start to regulate this, um, you know, like you used to be able to go to Walmart and like their, their expired grocery and stuff they would give you, but they, you can't do that anymore. So it, it's getting a little bit more difficult to find those sorts of things, but, but they are still out there if you're creative and, and willing to look for them. So. Well, we even find with uh, like the alpacas here, like we're not raising them for meat, obviously, but like if we have a next door neighbor that has like uh unfertilized grass clippings or everything, just throw them over the side and yep. get rid of their grass clippings that feeds the alpacas offsets our feed costs, everything else. So. Absolutely. Yep. So uh, we talked about feed. I guess kind of the final thing to talk about is butchering and processing. Um, you know, if this is something that you have the capability or knowledge to do on your own, you can save a lot of money. Um, that's basically pretty much half of your input costs in terms of raising, raising feeder pigs. Now in the States and for us, like if I want to sell my pork to even family and friends, it needs to be processed by an inspected company. So, so it doesn't really pay for me to just do my own one or two pigs when I can just have them come out, butcher all 10 on farm, then they'll bring them right back to the, the facility or the, you know, the meat plant and they'll process it all there. So that's usually how I would do it growing up. And, and after talking to the local butcher um, by me, and that's how I plan to do it again. Um, so what they'll do, they'll come out with a truck and a trailer or whatever it might be. And it's uh, for, for me, it's $60 a head for them to come out to the farm. They'll butcher the animal they'll skin it down. They'll get it basically to a, a carcass, a hanging carcass that they can take and then put in the freezer. And then from there, I'm able to call my customers or any family and friends that, that have ordered pork for me. And I can say, okay, your pig's ready. You can call the processing plant and you tell them how you want it processed. Cause you're going to have some options. You know, you get to choose how many pork chops you want in a package, what type of packaging you want, whether you want your roasts and steaks ground up into sausage, you know, if you want brats, those sorts of things. And all the prices kind of depend on that. Um, kind of for me, it's 60 cents for just your general processing. It's a buck 50 a pound for brats and links, 50 cents a pound uh, for sausage, buck 25 for any curing or smoking, like if you want smoked ham or anything like that. Um, so I guess from what I found in the past, it usually shakes down to roughly about 70 cents a pound processing if you kind of get it done you know, normally or, or how they recommend. Um, so that's kind of what you're looking at for processing, butchering and processing. So butchering, you know, 50 to 60 bucks a head to butcher them on farm. And I really do recommend you butcher them on farm. I would not trade your pigs to, uh, to the butcher to get them done just to save a few bucks. Cause like I said, you're going to stress that pig out. The meat's going to tense up and it's not going to be nearly as good as it would have been if you just butchered them on farm. Um, so that's something to think about. Yeah, it's a, it's an adrenaline thing, right? Like if they get all worked <clears> up and it changes the taste of the meat. Absolutely. Yep. And, and it really is noticeable for sure. So, so uh, I guess we kind of talked about everything I had. Um, I just wanted to kind of go through a final cost overview and kind of break it down for you guys to get to a, you know, what's it going to cost me per pound to raise my own farm fresh pork. So that's what I've done. So I, I've, I've ignored the fence of costing or the, 
the cost of fencing, shelter, feeders, and waters. So I'm kind of taking that, you know, those are all basically one-time purchases. Uh, you're looking at maybe $500 to get all that done, assuming you kind of build your own shelter. Like I said, it's about $350 for fencing. You're looking at another $50 to $100 in feeders, waters, that sort of thing. So ignore those costs for now. Um, so let's say we go out and we buy some feeder pigs. I'm going to assume that I am paying $100 per pig. And that's assuming I'm going to be getting probably a pretty good quality pig. It's going to be standard breed, roughly 60 pounds start weight. And I'm assuming I'm going to take it to that 260 pound finish weight that we talked about. So that's going to cost me $100 right off the bat just to go to another farm and buy that feeder pig. Um, we talked about feed. Um, so, you know, we've got 200 pounds of gain on that animal. It's three, three pounds of feed for one pound of gain. So we've got, you know, 600 pounds of feed that we need to buy. And that, that shakes out to $120. Um, I rounded down just to keep it easy. I know I'm probably going to supplement even more than that, and it's going to cost me less per pig to feed, but I assumed $100 per pig to feed it. You know, that's assuming you're feeding primarily grain and you're only supplementing, you know, 15% of its diet with other foods, which is, is pretty easy to do just with your own table scraps. So the feed is going to cost you $100 to get that pig finished. The butcher is going to cost you $60 to come out and just butcher that pig. And then based on a 70 cent, uh, a pound processing fee, which is pretty average. It's going to, that 260 pound pig is going to yield probably about 200 pounds of usable meat. So at 70 cents a pound processing, that's going to be about $140 to get that pig processed. So to break that down, we got $100 to buy that animal. We've got $100 to feed that animal. We've got $60 to butcher it. And then we've got $140 to process it. So you add all that up, you've got $400 and that's going to net you about 200 pounds of pork. So it's about two bucks a pound to raise your own pork based on the prices that I've found and everything else. And, and like I said, that's pretty rough, rough uh, approximation, but that's going to get you pretty close. And what you can do now with that number is if you are like somebody in my shoes, um, you know, I'm looking to raise basically two for myself and then sell the other four or five, six, however, however many I decide to get to family and friends. So now I have a number to work with. I know I need at least that much per pound to break even. So let's say now I want to figure out, okay, well, how much do I need to make to cover the cost of my own pigs? And then break even, you know, and that's basically what I'm after. I want to raise the pigs. I don't mind doing the work. So for me, that's what I enjoy. I basically want to sell enough pork to offset the cost to raise my own pork. Um, so I can easily do that after I've got that number. Um, and then I'm able, like I said, I can go to my customers and tell them, hey, this is what it's going to cost per pound. Uh, you know, the pigs are going to be ready around this date. This is how it's going to work. You know, maybe I'll have a $100 installment from you guys now so I can go purchase the pigs Maybe in July, I'll get another $100 from you guys. And then when they're butchered in September, whatever it might be, um, we'll, we'll settle the rest with the, the butcher and the processor because it depends you know, how they process their meat. And then they, they tend to like that too because then they kind of feel like they get to choose what cuts of meat they get and everything else. So, so that's usually how I've approached that in the past. And, and I've had good luck and, and everybody seemed to be pretty happy with, with the results. Yeah, that's exactly what we did last year is we got to choose our cuts of meat and we really like ground pork for, uh, you know, a bunch of Asian dishes and everything else. So yep. it uh, worked out really well because we were able to like maximize the, the ground meat and, you know, we didn't need a whole bunch of uh, fancy roasts or anything for us. And it actually, mm -hmm. it was a really good uh, to do our own, like, quote unquote, do our own last year. It's just um, rather than paying like uh, a higher price and 
it was, it was really neat because we saw the pigs from the, the beginning to the end and, and saw how yep. well they were treated. And obviously compared to a factory pig, they're going to have a, a much better existence, I guess. So yep. There is that aspect too. Yep. So but, I did, okay, just, just to touch on that, I did, I put two links in the show notes there to like two studies done by universities and, and they were pretty good. They were, you know, information dense and everything else, but there was some good stuff in there. But but it was pretty resounding, The like the recommended or the average um, square footage per animal is eight square feet per pig. Which is, if you think about that, that's like literally just the size of the pig, no extra room. I mean, eight, uh, a pig is probably four or five feet long, and more probably more than a foot wide, and that's that's what they're basically, you know, that's what they're raising. That's the conditions they're raising these pigs in on those large farms and everything else. So that pig is literally just basically unable to move for its entire life. Um, they're they're crammed into tight facilities, and it's it's just nasty. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, it's the same thing with chickens or any other sort of large-scale right. production. It's it's never going to be nearly as humane as the way you treat them, especially when you you know you name them and you and you interact with them. And right. yeah, versus the extremely accelerated life they usually have in a in a feedlot. So yep, yep. So that was that's been my experience uh, raising pigs, and I guess my knowledge. I do have one final tip. So I kind of hammered on this early. Pigs are very stress prone. So and and I've had problems with this in the past, and we actually lost one or two pigs uh, while raising them because of things like this. Um, so be very careful on extra moving day. Actually, the f- I believe it was the first year I raised pigs. I was like 12 years old. We went and got these pigs and, and we found out later that they had just weaned the pigs that day. So the pigs were weaned that day. They were given their vaccinations that day. And then they were pulled from the farm and brought to our place that day. We didn't know that picking them up because we didn't know. We just simply didn't know. We weren't you know that informed. We didn't know that much about raising pigs. So we found that out later. And the pig actually, the pigs actually, one of the pigs had a heart attack basically a day or two later. And uh, we're pretty sure it was because of the stress brought on by that. So, so when you're moving them onto the farm, be careful. Make sure you've got, uh, you know, a pickup truck uh, with a topper works really good for moving them. Um, don't be like, you know, don't give them to your kids to hold in the back seat. They're going to be squealing the whole time. Be, be smart about how you do these things because it really does make a difference uh, in the final product. Um, so when you first move them on the property, give them a few days to get acclimated. Don't be in there running around. And that's one thing too. teach your kids to be respectful to animals. And, and the same with your other animals. Don't have dogs that are chasing them all the time and barking at them, that sort of thing. Um, they're, they're not going to put on weight if they're nervous all the time and scared to go to the fence and get feed. Um, and make sure, you know, make sure they've got shade to get out of the heat. Make sure they've got a good shelter. Basically, just make sure you give your pigs a good life and, and they're going to give you good meat in return. Um, that's kind of always been my motto. Happy pigs are healthy pigs. Healthy pigs are tasty pigs. So keep that in mind. Um, yeah, well, I guess if they have yeah. a bunch of really good days and just one bad day, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's always you know that's always a hard part of raising livestock. There is you know that that point they they got a shelf life. That's kind of what, how it was always explained to us growing up. You know, the animals have a shelf life just like all food does. It they're here to serve a purpose, and you know when that day comes, it's tough, but it, it's nice to know you can take solace in the fact that you gave that animal a very good life, and you know you did everything you could, and just like you said, it had one bad day, and it had certainly had a much better life than it would have had. Uh, being raised pretty much anywhere else. So, yep. Yeah. Ah, great info. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, Dan had a couple comments there. The first one, uh, I think we touched on briefly chickens and pigs will pretty much eat up anything uh, potato skins, food scraps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you mentioned no meat. Um, not that I want to take it to a really dark place, but there was a local guy here in Vancouver and 
he was uh, kind of made the headlines for a few years because he had murdered people and got rid of the bodies by eggs. <laughs> yep. So, uh, um, I got a coworker that jokes about the same thing because I told him I was yeah. all excited about getting pigs. And, oh, geez, you think I'm going to start killing people now or something? Yeah. And, and <laughs> the worst part was he also sold sausage on the farm, and the police oh. were the police were doing their their very very level best to try and explain to people that no, they hadn't eaten people sausage, but in reality, they had no way to know whether or not. Yeah. They so, um, <laughs> when it gets yeah. into the gray area there then it's not funny yeah like <laughs> curiously it wasn't so funny so yeah, um, don't think that's a yeah. clue <laughs> i don't think so but don't yeah think it was if it's a very large time window that he was doing that so anyways he was a bit of a, a you know an infamous guy around here but yeah so okay. they really eat pretty much anything but part of that is they're not afraid of men right uh you can tell me i'm wrong here but the way i see it with pigs is they're kind of like the polar bears and the the other things they're just they're just don't seem to like run away squealing too bad they yeah. will approach you through the fence like yeah I always, when i was uh, seeing the pigs last year like they would come right up to you and you know sniff you and make sure everything's okay and they're not like freaking out when they see people yeah. i think when it comes to being a an eater if they're used to like eating certain scraps they're not afraid to like tear off anything right mm-hmm. yep. so yeah yeah, pigs are definitely very, uh, very friendly animals, and we were kind of talk- talking about this a little bit before the show. They were always my favorite growing up, mostly for that reason. Uh, yeah, they they start to realize who brings the feed, and they they see you walking up to the fence with a five gallon bucket of feed, and they get all excited and start squealing and running around. And they don't yeah. care what's in it at that point; they just eat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is the same as chickens. I mean, they'll cook. Uh, they'll eat like cooked chicken carcass. Like after you made bone broth, and the bones are all mushy, they'll eat chicken bones. They don't care. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's yeah, the way it is. Um, yeah, but chickens are kind of just pigs with feathers anyway yeah. so yeah uh he mentioned also that uh, it's important to burn off the hairs when you're processing the pig like using a blowtorch or uh burning brush on a pitchfork um okay. i was told actually i was talking to a lady this morning and she was actually basically helped run or did run i guess a meat processing uh, uh butcher shop type of thing and she was mentioning scalding the skin had you seen that or heard of that done before uh, no, no, that's nothing that we've ever done uh, growing up or anything. Uh, we we would have to trim them for 4-H, but we would just take the clippers and trim off the long hair. But we never did any burning of the hair or anything before the butchering, no. No, oh, okay, because I was uh, told, like, scalding the skin to, like, actually have it slough off to make it a little easier on stuff okay. uh, to get that fat layer off. But okay. um, I, I'm new, so I'm going to find out this fall, I guess, in November when it comes time. So Yep, yep. Um, and I think a, a, a big part of that, too, is, is kind of what I touched on, you know, getting them butchered on farm. I think that makes a big difference, you know, keeping them in the pen, not getting them all stressed out before. I think that's going to probably have a larger impact on, you know, how the butchering and processing goes than anything. Because um, I have heard that with other animals, especially if, if they're not butchered correctly, the, the a lot of the meat will actually spoil because the blood doesn't drain out correctly and everything else. Oh, um, there's definitely an art form to it, I think, as well. Yeah, certainly. Yep. So I was told by a few sources now so uh to to brace myself because i guess when it's uh stripped down it kind of looks uncomfortably human-like and i guess mm-hmm. universities, universities use them pig carcasses yeah. as a way to test uh, decomposition rates and everything else because it's so similar yeah. to humans which is like <clears throat> okay <laughs> yeah so that was uh, a little disturbing but anyway uh yeah, true fact so I was told that uh, now. Tell me if I'm wrong here too. Is that they can go completely wild within a year if you if you you know if they get loose from a farm and they go into the bush, they're pretty much like, yeah, completely wild. After I have heard that. I I can't speak to it because I have no experience with it, but I've definitely heard that as well. So yeah, like keep them too well contained. Yeah, well, I think yeah. <laughs> once they grow that hair and they can like as we we've talked about on many episodes that they can you know build snow caves and start running wild. And Texas has this big problem with them now, and um, mm-hmm. yeah they certainly seem to be able to outbreed the hunters, which is good. Yep. I guess for a wild meat source, but 
right bar taint yeah <laughs> um so of course we've all heard about the vietnamese pot-bellied pig and uh you know little little things like that they use as pets is it true they can be trained like more like a dog like uh not so much housebroken but at least you know come when called sit whatever i mean i've seen the videos that everybody else has uh we actually did have a pot belly pig growing up a uh, pot belly pig named jenny it was a fun little pig did nothing did nothing but run around with the goats and squeal and is it was kind of just crabby, to be honest. It was the, it was about the only pig we had that didn't really seem to like people. If you did get close to it, kind of squeal at you and scurry away. But I, I don't know. I, I I guess they're fun. They're kind of cute. I can see the draw to them. But um, in our experience, no, we we didn't train it to do any cool tricks or anything like that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I guess for the the reason we're talking about this too is like you know cost savings, less reliance on the man, and and you know a feeling of uh, I guess um uh you know, a more comfortable situation with the, uh, the pork supply, the way it is, I guess it's a, uh, yeah. a feeling of well-being, not having to worry about supply issues. So th- there's good reasons for doing this, but uh, besides meat, can, uh, can you actually like get like render the lard and everything else for yourself or? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, that's a good transition. So, yeah. So with the pig fat, I mean, uh, just speaking for us personally, um, we actually take the, the oil or the, the fat from, well, we, we get it from a butcher right now, but we'll, you know, once we butcher our own pigs, we'll take that fat and do it as well. But we take the fat and we can uh, render that down and use that oil for soap making. And oh, uh, actually, if you guys tune in next week, I think we'll be doing the podcast. Um, I'm going to have my wife clean on. Uh, she owns and operates Squeaky Clean Soaps. Um, so she's going to come on and kind of take us through that process of actually rendering the fat down into oil and then taking that oil and then making make it into usable bar soap. Um, so that's that's certainly one thing you can do with it. Uh, I know pork fat especially is is kind of sought after for like cutting in with a lot of other meats and sausages. Um, I'm not I'm not super well versed on on butchering and processing, so I can't speak much farther than that. But I do know that uh, pork fat is is used in a lot of other sausages and stuff. So oh yeah, like the. Um... Uh, pork fat you can mix in with all sorts of wild meats and actually when we were making our bear chorizo sausage we uh, put in just a pound of bacon yep mm-hmm. it's so high in fat just to uh, to mix it in make it a little uh, less uh you know it's just so lean right exactly yeah. with our, our deer pepperettes yeah, yeah. And i guess uh, like pickled pig's feet uh something that i've actually never eaten um now that i think of it i'm kind of curious too though oh yeah so uh it's a ukrainian uh, delicacy studentettes but also in germany schweinhocks uh okay. when, you, when you go there they 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 just dig on it and i've seen guys eat it and it, <laughs> it doesn't do it for me but you yeah. know I, I supposedly it is quite the delicacy i i just can't get into it but. yeah i, I like I said, i've never tried it either but uh i just kind of thought of it now and kind of should uh let's see what else could we use on the pigs pig ears for the dogs right i suppose you could what do you do tan those and i even um, dehydrate them i think at that point okay yeah you could probably uh, use them as that i was gonna actually ask you if you guys ever played with the idea of uh, making leather i yeah that would be fun i i've never done that personally but it would be cool to do um yeah cool Uh, Uh, have you guys ever done anything like that tanning your own hides or anything or no, one of our local ladies from 4-H, she actually was uh, turning uh, like uh, her lambskins into leather, and and she was working on that. I don't know, never saw the final product, but I saw them stretched out in the rack and stuff. So okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, it is a bit of a process. And you got to get the right tenons going and everything else. Yeah, so, yep. So Just like everything, yeah. Yeah, but um, last thing I was going to ask you about uh, are feral hogs a problem in your area? Um, not locally anyways. Uh, I've never seen any or heard of any friends that have seen or shot any. Um, I know we, we had mentioned it on a podcast before and I had found it that they actually do have like an open season on them in Wisconsin. You can shoot them if you do see them, but, uh, I don't think it's a, a problem that is really widespread if at all. So interesting. We just had, uh, we don't have any 
feral hogs on the island, we actually have another invasive species coming in recently, the the fallow deer, which is like the super small ones. They have like the moose size like antlers on them. Oh, right. um, but um, yeah, anyway, so feral hogs are a big thing on the prairies. But I guess if you go if you do go hunting them, um, which there isn't quite officially a season, but especially down in Texas, places like that, if you do mm-hmm. hunt them, you're going to have to bring a spear because they will charge you because, again, they're not yeah. afraid of man. Oh. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and they like said, they're outbreeding hunters and people trying to eradicate them. So that is eventually a potential food source. Yep. So I think uh, down in Texas, they like fly around the helicopters and shoot them out of the helicopters. Right. And I think I've seen yeah, they do. Of that. And they actually have guys pay to do it. Yeah. Um, yep. wow. there's, there's so many that they can just go ahead and plunk away at them. But uh, mm-hmm. on the prairies now in Canada, it's becoming quite an issue because it's crop destruction, right? Oh, yep. right. So I think they need to actually get together with the, the uh, conservation uh, societies there and figure out what to do with them because sooner they got to like, some sort of official season or tag or something on yeah. them or just make it an open season, whatever. Yep. Talk about a dream job, hanging out the chopper with AR, hunting hogs. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, as long as you don't land and have one get really angry with you. <laughs> anyway. Uh, hey, sign me up with a, as that ever becomes a job. <laughs> yeah, <Exactly. okay. laughs> uh, That's pretty much I had for all I had for questions yeah. for you, really. Um, you got anything, Eric? No, I was just here to learn tonight. Yep. Yeah. No, I... Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, this is literally my first season even being involved with like kind of like a hands-on thing because the uh, the local guy here, he's, he's on the preparedness plan as well. So okay. uh, he's probably watching. Nice. He'll listen later on. So, I mean, uh, hopefully Good we'll get, to get to a little bit of learning going on because last year was kind of hands-off. So Okay. Are you actually planning on raising your own this year? Or? No, he was trying to convince me the other day and I was like, okay. uh, uh, level land is an issue around here. Fencing, I don't have anything set up. And it's just, yeah. I'd rather honestly just raise it at his place and, and pay the a little extra because... right. And you know, yeah, and that's the thing. If if it is not for you, I do highly recommend finding a local farmer, somebody else who does do it because it, it support local. You're getting a much better pork product at the end, and you're paying basically the same price as you are in the store. The only thing is, you've got you know 200 pounds of meat that you need to find storage for, and not everybody has a huge chest freezer. You know, people like us probably have multiple of them. At least I know I do, but not everybody does have that space. So that's usually the biggest kind of deterrent for that. But but more importantly, you have a guaranteed supply. Like once exactly. you, know, once you've yeah. been, you know, secured your own pig for the season, you're not subject to the whims of supply and demand at Costco mm-hmm. because if all of a sudden they just announce, you know, you can't get any this week, what do you do, right? So yep. Yep. Um, yeah, that is an issue too. So especially nowadays with all these news articles up top there. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're seeing that in full effect right now. Absolutely. Well, shall we move into the podcast challenge? Cool. Yeah. Uh, so like uh, Tyler was saying, let's support some local people here, like uh, with the economy the way it is. Uh, so source some local pork producers and maybe consider buying in bulk to assure your supply for the uh, later season and save some money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you have a good story about a uh, source you found, uh, let us know at uh, feedback at pepperpodcast.ca. You don't have to send where you actually sourced it, though, because we might, you know, overwhelm them. But if you got a good story, let us know. <laughs> actually, uh, before I forget about that, when I was talking to my local guy here, he had a real tough time sourcing like young pigs like uh the sorry how do you what was the male and female names he gave the barrels and the gilts yeah uh he was having a real tough time uh, finding the gilts i guess the females right yep Mm -hmm. um could not find them at all and uh it it took him about a few days and finally got back to me he's like yes i got some so i I guess supply is a bit of an issue even for raising your own right now yep that's what i'm finding right now is i'm uh like i said don't have my pen quite set up yet so i can't say okay yeah i got cash can come pick them up today so that's kind of trying to find a you know find a breeder or farm that's going to say yep i'll hold you your six pigs tell them you can you can get them and and right now with supply as high as it is not many people are willing to do that so you basically have got to have cash and a pen ready to go if you want pigs because you got to go get them that day 
So, Jeez. yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Yep. How about some upcoming events? All right, so we got the uh, podcaster charity shoot for now still going on at uh, Balmoral, New Brunswick on July 4th, 2020. It's hosted by Slamfire Radio. Uh, this year's charity of choice is the Rod Harkwell Memorial Fund. Uh, you can register on practice score to buy tickets, and even if it doesn't happen, it'd be nice if you just left the uh, ticket price in there as a donation. Uh, for now, the drop-dead date is going to be May 15th. If we're still under a quarantine or lockdown situation by then, probably won't be realistic to have it happen by, uh, by July. All right, and we've got uh, emergency preparedness week coming up May uh, May third to the ninth. So, like we mentioned at the uh, the beginning, there all kinds of other things can still happen. So it's good to uh, still talk about emergency preparedness and and not just in the whole Corona sense of things, but all the other fun filled things we plan for. We could just call it a regular week for us. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's Corona free week. Just the week of May third through the ninth, right? Recording that now, Corona free. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we also got TACOM Canada 2020. It's going to be September 11th through 13th. Uh, so the Canadian Pro Gun Podcasters Network will be in attendance at TACOM 2020. Your favorite podcasters will be on hand throughout the show, so make sure to stop by the booth, uh, meet your favorites, and pick up some swag. Uh, for more details of the show, um, you can check out the ticket link in the podcast show notes. Awesome. Yeah, if you grab a ticket, uh, we get a dollar. So. Yeah. It'd be appreciated if you could throw it our way, and then we can pay for the internet and uh, stream from uh, the show. Yeah, yeah. Moving to some shoutouts. Right, Eric, you got any? Not, not this evening. Nope. All right, uh, I got one for Firearms Outlet Canada. So they uh, actually, I made a, I made a few orders with them. They've always been great. And then this last order, for, uh, I don't know what happened, but they shorted me on one item and got a hold of them. Same business day, you know, despite how busy these guys are, like with all the online only sales and everything else going on. Uh, same day they got back to me, they made it right and they had it in the mail. And I think I got it within four days coming from Toronto to uh, to make up for the missing product. So huge shout out to them for uh, customer service, which is like considering how busy they are. It's been fantastic. Nice. That's a good turnaround. Yeah. No, I was, I was, I was shocked. Actually, I didn't think they'd acknowledge my email period, but they, they got back to me. So that was good. Nice. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's, uh, oh, I guess uh, one for uh, CGN user Van Isle Cam. And um, yeah, thanks for all the information for the episode here. Good deal. Yeah, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Kane's Processing and Mobile Slaughtering in Amory, Wisconsin. Uh, great people to work with. So they're going to be providing the butchering and processing services for my feeder pigs this fall. Uh, but they also provide the pork and beef fat that my wife renders down to make soap oils. And uh, like I mentioned, you guys tune in next week if you're interested in soap making. I'm going to have my wife clean on. Uh, she runs Squeaky Clean Soaps. You can check her out on Facebook, Instagram, or online if you want to check it out before next week's show. But uh, tune in next week to find out how to make soap from your pig fat. Wait a you don't get fat from the uh, the uh, beauty salons or what do they call it the uh, plastic surgery suites like <laughs> human uh, fat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a, it was a Fight Club reference, just like the hair. <laughs> yeah, feed humans to your pigs and then uh, yeah, soap out of it. Circle life, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move into some email and iTunes reviews. So for iTunes, we're up to uh, 53 five, uh, five stars. We've got five four stars. Uh, we've got two three stars, one two star, and one one star. So we're still plugging along pretty good with the five stars, and we've still got that one little guy keeping us honest. So not too shabby there. We've got uh, an interesting message, and uh, I'll open up the questions to the panel after I read it out here. A Facebook Messenger message uh, from Emma, who is living in Ireland. So she has a, a couple of questions here. Uh, first question was, can you be a homestead prepper? Um, 
my belief to that would be yes, but uh, we'll answer that in a bit. Uh, she mentions that she has uh, hens, rabbits, uh, meat and uh, for meat and eggs, and uh, fur, uh, plus growing her own vegetables. Um, question about what the best defense weapon would be, um, not including guns, uh, too many rules over here to get one. And uh, two other questions, uh, the best way to filter rainwater and the best way to uh, keep your fruit and vegetables fresh uh, without using canning, root cellar, or freezing. So some interesting questions. Uh, can I go first? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm going to ruthlessly copy Jack Spierko on his uh, homestead prepper question there. Uh, he actually did an episode with it about a month ago. And basically, by being a homesteader, you are a prepper. Uh, they just didn't call it that for the longest mm-hmm. time. <laughs> so I would say that, uh, yeah, if you're if you're a homesteader and you have a hobby farm or an acreage or whatever, you you are basically by proxy just a prepper right off the bat because you're going to be dealing with like flooded basements, power outages, you know, broken machinery like Tyler just had this week, and everything else. And and by running into that stuff, you're going to have like stuff put in place to make sure that doesn't happen again, or at least min- mitigate the the incident later on. So you might get a generator for the power outage, your spare parts yeah. for your machinery, and it kind of forces you to be one, whether or not you like it. So I would say you can't have one without the other. You yeah. just need a tinfoil hat to be a prepper. That's all. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the best take on it as well. I think where people kind of get mixed up is uh, there's kind of this connotation with prepping that it's more like hoarding where people are just stockpiling stuff. Um, and homesteading kind of has that tendency to be like more frugal, self-sufficient living off of the land where you're making all of your own leather and everything else. So I think that's kind of where people see some contrast. But just like you yeah. said, I, I think anybody who is interested in prepping and really sees, you know, the long-term possible systemic problems and everything else understands that really the only way to be truly prepared is to be able to grow your own food and, and take care of all that stuff yourself. And that's exactly what homesteading is. So it seems like the two are basically synonymous or they're kind of the same thing. Yeah, and I completely agree as well. It's uh, mm-hmm. they're one and the same for sure. Yeah. And only to a reasonable level, like you're never going to be like yeah. fully self-reliant until you can make no. your own nails to build your own sheds and, and mill your own wood. So right. I mean, in reality, there's, there's limits. I mean, you can be exactly. less reliant, but not self-reliant. So, yep. I mean, yeah. that's, that's where we're going, I think with that one, but exactly. Absolutely. Uh, How about we uh, move to the best defense weapon, not including firearms. Okay. Well, first of all, the mm-hmm. word weapon is a government introduced terminology. Mm-hmm. I would say, I would say yep. it, as soon as you start talking about those things, you're talking about tools. Now, how you yep. decide to use the tool is your, your call, right? So, okay. Not including guns. I would say the best defense weapon or tool is the one you have in your hand. Yep. Uh, Cause you might have a, a beautiful, like, you know, machete or ax, you know, 500 feet away, but if there's bad guys, 10 feet in front of you, that doesn't do you any good. Nope. So, and if you want a little window into the warped upbringing of my children, I've always said, listen, anything could be a weapon. And they, they said, well, prove it. And so a couple of times they brought up like, you know, a spoon and something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or a newspaper. And like, I think newspaper was the best one. It's like, roll it up, put it into their, you know, never mind. And, a million you know, paper cuts. Yeah. It's like, you can, you can literally turn anything into a weapon in the eyes yep. of the government because it's not a weapon until you decide to use it on somebody or use it exactly. for a nefarious purpose. So until that point, it's a tool. So like, you know, whether it be just the, the, you know, the pocket knife that you have on you or whatever, I mean, is this a weapon or a tool? It's a tool. Yep. I mean, yep. the fact that it's on my person is irrelevant. It's just here and I use it to open up hay bales and everything else. If it became a, a opportunistic tool to be used as a weapon, that'd be another thing. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like that term being used kind of flippantly by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so as a prepper, yes, you're gonna have lots of tools that may be used as such, but you know, whatever you're comfortable with too. If you're not comfortable, you know, swinging around a big machete or a, a giant like Viking axe, don't get one. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just uh I'd say the best defense weapon is one that you can use um, skillfully and comfortably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I shy away from the the term weapon as well because that's just going to get you into a heap of trouble very quickly. So yeah. You have things around that you use for common day things. If they happen to be able to help protect you in a situation, well, it's great you had it. But to be deeming it a weapon right off the the get go, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not. Uh, it's just going to get you in a heap of trouble. Yeah, because yeah. as soon as like if they're not good with guns over there, they're not going to be good with concealed weapons. No. So I mean, if you have a Leatherman multi tool on your on your person, um, right. yeah. it's not a, it's not a weapon until you oh, need yeah. to use it for self defense. Yeah. Yeah, your your best bet's probably to learn some sort sort of hand to hand combat, you know, jujitsu or karate or what boxing, whatever it might be. Um, that that's always going to be that's knowledge that's always with you. You know what I mean? You don't really need a tool for any of that. That's kind of the the draw to it. But uh, yeah, basically what you guys touched on it. Whatever whatever tool you've got in your hand or you know weapon you've got in your hand, that's probably the best one or the, the one you can get to is the best one. So. All right, let's move on to uh, the best way to filter rainwater. So there's all kinds um, of uh, rainwater. Sorry, I, I was just saying. Of... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, so I was going to say, I have a, if I was going to use rainwater to drink, I would do a two-stage system. So I, I have a five-gallon bucket. You can fill the sand and rocks to get the bulk, like the 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 coarse stuff out, and then turn right around, and throw it into my Berkey. That's how I'd filter that into drinkable water. Mm-hmm. Um, depends on scale too, right? Like uh, what kind of a scale we're talking? Like it's just a you know ten gallons or five hundred gallons, right? Because mm-hmm. um, there's always the Sawyer Mini or the Life Straw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not counting that one out, Eric. <laughs> but uh, stock, it's all right. I would say the more you can, pre- <laughs> yeah the uh, the more you can pre-filter things, the better. So um, yeah. if you have rainwater and it's got like bugs and sticks and everything else in it, obviously you use a colander first, and then you use you know finer and finer mesh, and then um, you want to you want to clog up the filter as little as possible, no matter what your final filter is. Mm-hmm. I think one thing you can That's do, you know, if you do have a rainwater system set up, uh, usually it'll have kind of like an overflow barrel to start with. So all of your water will come into that first barrel and then it will fill to the top and it'll overflow into the next barrel. And what's going to happen in that first barrel is all the, you know, if you've got an asphalt roof, like the little pebbles can settle to the bottom, any debris, branches, leaves, it gives that a chance to settle to the bottom in the first material. So then as that water overflows into the next container, it's it's somewhat already being filtered, at least uh, with the large particles and so on. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the uh, Engineer 775 on YouTube has a great uh, uh, video on a first flush diverter system. And yeah, so basically, yeah, it does exactly that. So it stuff down the pipe, and then it kind of fills up and blocks off, and then it just puts fresh water down the rest of the way. Yep. But, awesome. We'll get to the final question. Uh, best way to keep uh, fruits and vegetables fresh without using canning, root cellar, or freezing? That's going to be a tricky one. I think uh, I don't think keep them in a cool, dry place out of the sun. That's yeah. about the best you can do. Um, I guess yeah. be smart about you know if, if that's really a concern of yours. There's certain vegetables that do just keep on the shelf much, much longer than others. Yeah. Um, like potatoes will store for months. Is it uh, zucchinis? I think squash. squash. Yeah. My thought goes oh. to dehydrator and the. Back. Honestly, if you just have. Uh, Dehydrator is a great. Yeah, because I was yeah. gonna say, like, the whole point of being, yeah, the whole point of being fresh is it has water in it, and you know it's exposed to oxygen, so it's it's naturally gonna degrade unless you do something about it. So either you have to take away the oxygen, take away the water. Yep. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think oh, we lose Ian. Must have froze up on us. Yeah, it's frozen up. So, okay, we broke okay. Ian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not hard to do. <laughs> no. 
All right. Oh, so, wait a minute. Am I back yet? He's back. There he is. There he is. There we go. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we we're at the point of taking away the oxygen and the water from, uh, from the fruits and vegetables, and that's going to break them down. Um, so, yeah, really dehydration, backpack, maybe an O2 absorber of some sort, and Dehydrator works really good. That's uh, that's a good point you bring up, Aaron. That's something, or that's something my wife does quite a bit of. Uh, you can pretty much dehydrate just about anything. Um, carrots, apple, apples are really good dehydrated. Um, yeah, lots of stuff. So, so there we go. There's a few options for you, Emma, and hopefully it helps you out and helps out uh, the other listeners as well. Some great questions. So, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we're happy to help anybody out that happens to have some questions. At the end of the show, we'll uh, I'll read them out and pose it to the panel, and we'll get you some answers. And if uh, we don't have them, well, we'll find them somewhere. So there you go. So with that, I will bring episode number 65 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. Uh, We record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click on the notifications tab. Uh, This is going to give you an alert when we're going live. And uh, if you've got any questions or advice for me, you can email into the show at tyler at prepperpodcast.ca. All right. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. We record on Monday evenings at the same time. Uh, there you'll find us discussing why government waste and society triggered my Tourette's. Oh, it's changing every week now. <laughs> ah. <laughs> All right. So uh, you can check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com and you can get me there on the live chat uh, while you're buying some prepper gear that is actually slowly starting to come back in the stock, thankfully. Uh, you can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So uh, thanks for joining us and uh, tune in next time. Uh, same, uh, same time, Sundays at 9 p.m. And uh, until then, stay safe and keep learning. Mm-hmm.